Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Morning, church. Glad you're with us today. And I get the feeling that a thousand sermons have already been preached in the songs that we have just been sung and the scripture that has just been read. Um, I think one of the words that, the phrases that I believe God is speaking over you, over me, over us, is friends, our God is for us. He is for you. And those words from Psalm 3, I pray that those will sink deeply into your soul. He is the God who places his hand underneath your chin and lifts your head. He is the God who surrounds you, who is your shield. And whatever the circumstances you may be facing, um, know that he is present, he is near, and he sees you. Uh, in these days, I, I have to make a confession as I begin uh, this talk, as we continue in our series called Chasing Justice, uh, I, f- I feel like I need to make a confession. Um, I have been, as I've been taking my first pause of the day in these three pauses, uh, as I have been taking my first pause, uh, sometimes during my second pause, uh, definitely it's been happening during the third pause, as I've looked up into the night sky or the morning sky or the midday sky, I have been saying to Jesus, Jesus, this would be a great time for you to return. Uh, I, have, I just have to confess to you that in these days, I have been saying quite often, uh, okay, I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready, Jesus. You can, you can come back now. And um, maybe you have been saying things like that as well. It's not wrong to, to want Jesus to return. Uh, 1 Thessalonians tells us that's something we should anticipate. The book of Revelation uh, tells us that there's this prayer we pray, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's not wrong to want Jesus to return, but the reason I'm confessing this desire to you is because it doesn't come from good motives. It comes from a pretty self-centered and selfish place. Uh, you see, in all the messiness and all the brokenness and all the pain and the woundedness and the, and the, and the hurt that I see in the world, uh, I'm just saying, okay, okay, God, this would be a great time. I just, I, do, I would like to be just rescued from all of this. Uh, I remember there was a day; it was it was quite a long time ago that you know, if you were a Christian, you, you were admired and. And then there was a shift, uh, late 90s, maybe early 2000s, that, you know, was, it was, Christians were, you know, people were curious about Christians, they were admired, and now, now Christians are weird, and, and now what I feel like in today's days, there's another shift that's taken place, we've gone from admired, or we're curious about Christians, to, you know, Christians are weird, and now, now, now you're a problem, and, and I feel the pressure I see what's happening in our world, and I see that all that God calls good is, it seems like now it's called evil, and all that's evil is now being called good, and and I just, I would like to just sort of be extracted from it all. So I'm praying the prayer, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, I am ready for the return of Christ. Just take me up, beat me up, Jesus. Take me out of this mess. I'm confessing this to you because it all comes from a place of, uh, I just... I don't, I don't want, I don't want to deal with the mess. I don't want to deal with the brokenness. I don't want to deal with the hurt and the woundedness. Jesus, I am ready. Or am I? If you got your Bibles, go to Amos chapter 5. I want to look at a text in which 
people have been saying that very same thing. They have been saying, saying God, we're ready. We're, we're ready for the, not the return of Christ, because they haven't been introduced to Jesus yet. Uh, in the Old Testament vernacular, the, the return, this day when you meet God, is called the day of the Lord. And in the prophet Amos's day, in the nation Israel, there are people who are saying, okay, God, I, I can't wait for you to, to just... Take all this mess, take all this hurt, all this brokenness, and make every wrong right. We're, we're anticipating the day of the Lord. And, and God's going to send his prophet, Amos, to go speak to Israel uh, and, and address this desire that they have. The people in Israel's time are, are eager for this because as they look at the surrounding nations, what they're seeing is... Uh, is a lot of brokenness, and um, and when Amos begins to preach his first sermons, I think they're saying, preach it, Amos, preach it. I mean, bring it. Yes, we love it, because in chapter 1, in the beginning of chapter 2, Amos's focus of, of of confrontation is against the surrounding nations, nations like like Gaza and and then Tyre and, and, and Damascus. You'll, you'll see this on the map here, and, uh, you know, Moab and Edom and Ammon, and yes, go get them. God, preach it, Amos. We love it that you're confronting the injustice in the surrounding nations. But what the people of Israel don't know is that actually that Amos is very metaphorically and, and, and it kind of encircling in, in, in concentric circles what he's creating as sort of a target. And at the center of the target is Israel and uh, in sort of a bullseye fashion, Amos has been talking about all the injustice that's been surrounding Israel, and then he's going to focus the rest of many chapters on the brokenness and the, the failures of the nation Israel. And I want to read the text for us, Amos chapter 5. Uh, I want to read verses 18 through uh, 24. Listen to the word of the Lord. What sorrow awaits you who say, if only the day of the Lord were here. There, there it is. God would just come. If only the day of the Lord were here. You have no idea what you are wishing for. That day will bring darkness, not light. In that day, you will be like a man who runs from a lion only to meet a bear. Escaping from the bear, he leans his hand against a, a wall in his house, and he's bitten by a snake. Yes, the day of the Lord will be dark and hopeless without a ray of joy or hope. I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your hearts. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. Friends, this is God's holy word. The people in Amos Day are saying, oh God, if you would just come back, we're ready to meet you, God. There's a, the circumstances of life in our world are pretty difficult. The surrounding nations, boy, they're a mess. We sure like you to fix their problems. And so what they're anticipating that is, is, is if God, if the day of the Lord comes, then what they will do is they will go from bad to better. But what Amos is preaching to them and telling them is, no, we're not going from bad to better. Actually, we will go from bad to worse. And he paints pictures, and he says, look, it's kind of like you, you ran from a lion, which I would think would be incredibly terrifying. 
There's a lion chasing you and somehow you outrun the lion and you're exhausted and you come around the corner and you meet a bear. That would be frightening. Uh, and a bear chases you and you run for safety and security and you find yourself safe in your home and you're wiping your brow and you're so excited you got a drink of water and you lean your hand up against the wall and there on the windowsill next to your wall is a poisonous snake that's about to, about to strike you. What Amos is saying is that, look, you're, you're saying you want the day of the Lord. You're, you're saying, God, come back and fix all this mess. But the problem is it will not go from bad, as bad as your circumstances are, to better. Actually, you're not ready. And because you're not ready, it's going to go from bad to worse. It's your pick-me-up sermon for the day. Am I ready? God's people were not ready. And what I want to show you is three ways. This is, an is not an exhaustive list. Just three ways. They're not, they're not ready for the day of the Lord. And even as I speak of these three ways, what I want to do is just, just interject a few questions for us and, and for me. Because I've been praying, Jesus, this would be a great time for you to come back. I'm ready. Are you, Steve? Friends, are, are we? Here's, here's three ways that these people that Amos is writing to, uh, this is reasons why they're not ready. The first one is simply this. They are practicing religious hypocrisy. You see, Amos' voice is a devastating voice to those who are offering sort of a token attention to God. To those who are, who are coming to the temple and, and coming and, you know, there's, they, they, this was a, during, the, during the year they had these annual appointments with God and, and, and even then, before then, they would come and they would, they would offer their religious uh, sacrifices, peace offerings and, and guilt offerings and sin offerings and, and yet it was disconnected from daily life. In James's word, they had an, a divided heart. That they were one way over here as they were in the temple, but when they lived out their lives, there was a, there was a, quite a separation between, uh, between living this, this life of saying, I'm after God, yet they were living in such a way that they were not pursuing God. Their hearts were not fully allegiant to their God that they were hoping to see one day. Their hearts were tepid. Their hearts... We're, we're cold, and just uh, listen to how uh, Amos confronts this. Uh, here, here's a few passages, Amos chapter 4. Go ahead. By the way, notice the biting sarcasm of God here. Go ahead and offer sacrifices to the idols at Bethel. Keep on dis disobeying at Gilgal. Offer sacrifices each morning and bring your tithes every three, three days. Present your bread made with yeast as an offering of thanksgiving. Then give your extra voluntary offering so you can brag about it everywhere. This is the kind of thing you Israelites love to do, says the sovereign Lord. Amos chapter 5. I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all the choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. The people are saying, God, oh, God, we're ready. We're, we're ready for you to return. We're ready. we're ready for the day of the Lord. They think it's going to go from bad to better, but actually Amos is preaching to them and saying, actually, if he were to come back now, if you were to meet God now, you would not be ready. It would go from bad to worse. It would be like running from a lion, then running from a bear, and then meeting a poisonous snake. Because 
you're practicing religious hypocrisy. Friends, just pause and stop for a moment. As we evaluate and as we just see where our own hearts are in the chasing of our God, what's the temperature of our heart? Or one way just to put, it, put, put the question up on the screen, how hot is your heart for Jesus? What's, I'm not talking about passion levels. I'm not talking about excitement levels. I'm talking about allegiance and obedience. I'm talking about committed to walking in the way of the Lord, not turning to the right or to the left. I'm talking about rejecting sin. I'm, I'm talking, how hot is your heart for Jesus? Because the people that Amos is writing to, they have a divided heart. And they're practicing religious hypocrisy. And that's why they're not ready. Here's the second way that the, the people are not ready. Not only are they practicing religious hypocrisy, they are addicted to luxury and comfort. Once again, hear the strong words of Scripture. Amos chapter 6, What sorrow awaits you who lounge in luxury in Jerusalem and you who feel secure in Samaria. You are famous and popular in Israel and people go to you for help. How terrible for you who sprawl on ivory beds and lounge on your couches, eating the meat of tender lambs from the flock and of choice calves fattened in the stall. You sing trivial songs to the sound of the harp and fancy yourselves to be great musicians like David. You drink wine by the bowlful and perfume yourself with fragrant lotions. You care nothing about the ruin of your nation." Once again, Amos confronting the people of God who are not ready to meet them. They're practicing religious hypocrisy. And, and, and here's the interesting thing. Uh, we'll put these words up on the screen. You see, uh, when God ceases to be the treasure of your heart, more than likely your heart will fasten itself onto the pleasures and comforts of this life. When God is no longer the treasure, when your heart is not in full allegiance to him, what happens is you will give your allegiance to something or someone. And, and we make things treasures. We, we make stuff, we make people. We, we pursue things rather than pursuing God. Now, hear me on this. Is, I'm not saying it's wrong to have nice things. Please don't hear me saying it. It's, it's wrong to have couches and to be comfortable and to eat good food. And I'm not saying that any of that's wrong. I mean, look at the examples in scripture. Abraham, Abraham was incredibly wealthy. He, God blessed him and blessed him and blessed him. Uh, Job was an incredibly wealthy man. And even when everything was taken from him, it was given back to him. It was multiplied. God had, had no problem in pouring out prosperity on Job. David had an incredible palace. So much so that he, he even times it felt guilty that he had such a nice palace and God, God's temple was, was not built. It was, it was a tabernacle. It was a tent. Solomon had more riches than anyone could ever even fathom. Gold everywhere. See, the, the riches and the wealth and the luxury, the, the, the stuff, it, that in itself, it's not a... It's not wrong to own them. What's wrong is when they own us. And it's quite natural that when we are no longer pursuing, our affections are not for God. We will give our affections to other things. Yes, we'll give them to 
money. Yes, we'll give them to our business. Yes, we will give them to our hobbies. Yes, we'll give them to sports. Yes, we'll give, we'll give our affection to the arts. Yes, we'll give our affection to all kinds of things that end up being substitutes for the affection that God so longs for us as his children to give to him as father. You know, Jesus one day was uh, walking along and meets a rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler wants to be with Jesus. And Jesus says to him, because Jesus has a way of knowing exactly what the issues of the heart are. And so he extends an invitation to this rich young ruler. It's an invitation of a lifetime. If you think about it, what it would be like to be with Jesus, the Son of God, walking this planet, spending time with him, asking your questions. It's the invitation of a lifetime. Come follow me. But first, hey, before you follow me, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. What's Jesus doing? He's identifying what it is that's keeping this young man from being fully engaged in a relationship with him. Friends, I want you to imagine this for a moment. See, Amos is talking to a people who are not ready. They think things will go from bad to better on the day of the Lord. But actually, it will go from bad to worse because they're practicing religious hypocrisy. They're addicted to luxury and comfort. And it, we have to ask this question in our day, in this nation, this, this nation in which there's just so much wealth. We have so many things at our fingertips. Just put this question up on the screen for us. If Jesus were to ask you, me, us, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me, what would you do? Could you? Would you? The people aren't ready. And Amos is confronting them. There's a third reason that they're not ready and we'll put this on the screen as well. They are not chasing justice. Again, listen to the scripture that's being spoken, the, the sermon to Amos. By the way, these words, are, they're a bit confrontational. You, you'll, you'll get the sense of it here. Listen to me, you fat cows. That's a hard way to start a conversation, isn't it? Listen to me, you fat cows living in Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, who are always calling out to your husbands, bring us another drink. Amos 5, 10 through 11, how you hate honest judges, how you despise people who tell the truth. You trample the poor, stealing their grain through taxes and unfair rent. You oppress good people by taking bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Amos chapter five verses, chapter eight verses five through six. You measure out grain with dishonest measures and cheat the buyer with dishonest scales. And you mix the grain you sell with chaff swept from the floor. You enslave poor people for one piece of silver or a pair of sandals. What, what Amos is saying is, is, look, there's dishonesty, there's 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 oppression, there's, there's, they're mixing, they're saying, hey, here's a pound of grain, and actually there's only three quarters of a pound of grain in there because they've mixed in some chaff and some stalks and kind of added, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but when you ever bought bark dust, I've noticed this, you're buying a, a pickup load of, dark, of, of bark dust, and there's, a, there's rocks in here. Well, they're putting rocks in the grain, they're putting other stuff, and they're saying, yeah, here's, here's a pound worth of, of, of grain, but they're not getting a pound. 
It's dishonest scales. There's, there's corruption and uh, there's unfair rent and then there's this, there's this debt collection and they're oppressing the poor and they're taking advantage of the poor. And what the only recourse the poor had in that day is when all resources ran out, they would actually sell, them, sell, sell themselves into slavery. It's debt slavery. And they would work for someone to pay off the debt. And the reality is, is that they're in debt because the, the systems of the day put them in that place. And God is confronting them and saying, you're not chasing justice. This is why Amos is saying, he's saying, look, let justice flow like thundering waters. Let mishpat, let, let justice, let righteousness. That's sadikah, like in, in our first week, we, we define justice. It's a retributive justice. Yes, we want judges who are honest. We, we, there need, there is, there's no room for lawlessness. But justice isn't just retributive justice, it's also restorative justice, and your, your eyes are not on the disadvantage. Actually, you are taking advantage of the disadvantage. You're oppressing them. And you're not ready for my return. You're not ready for the day of the Lord because you're practicing religious hypocrisy. You have a divided heart. You're addicted to luxury and comfort. And frankly, your luxury and comfort is coming because you are not chasing justice, you are oppressing the poor. So woe to you who say, ah, I just wish the day of the Lord would come. Wish we could meet God and he could fix all of our problems because, Steve, as you pray that in the morning, as you pray that in the evening, there are some things in your own heart that you need to address. And friends, we need to ask ourselves the question, how am I chasing justice? The, the mishpat and the zadika. How am, how am I chasing? What Amos is saying is, look, what God's heart is, he wants a flow of justice to fill the streets. Let justice roll. He wants like a, a never-ending stream, righteousness to flow into our cities, into our families, into our neighborhoods. How am I chasing justice? I got an email this week from Mary, who has been listening in this series, and Mary shares a story. I pray it would encourage you. She writes, Early this week, I stopped at Roth's in South Salem on my way home from a doctor appointment at Kaiser Permanente. As I exit, exited my car, I heard, before I saw, someone calling me, Excuse me, miss. I turned to see a young man about 20 years old. He asked me if I could spare some money. He was hungry. I told him I, I don't have any cash on me. He thanked me anyway, and I turned away to go into Roth's. Suddenly, I, I turned back to him and heard myself say, Wait, I don't have cash, but if you follow me into the store, I'll buy you something to eat. His face lit, lit up, and we headed inside. I learned his name, Justin. I told him mine. Then I asked What's your story? That's a great question. What, what's your story? He explained he was between jobs and homeless, and uh, he was dressed nicely, polite, a little college. He was experiencing some hard times, and he told his story. And inside Roth's, I told him to pick out whatever he wanted. He chose sushi and came to where I was, and I said, you need something to drink. And as we waited, as he, we waited for me to pay with the credit card, I found myself recalling messages you and others have preached about compassion and against discrimination, and I found myself reflecting on the ministry of Jesus. 
So I then said the following to Justin. I need to tell you that I can do this for you because of the example of Jesus. I, I want to emulate his life. I'm a Christian. Would you be interested in learning how you can become one? His response was disappointing. No. I tried that, and it doesn't work for me. I encouraged him to please consider my words, and our time together was over. I wished him well, and we parted ways, and he thanked me profusely. So I thought you would like to hear that story, even though it doesn't have the happy ending I would have liked. It's really not the end of the story. God's in control. Perhaps he'll bring someone else into Justin's life with a different outcome. But I went home with a prayer in my heart for Justin and thankful of representing Jesus in a tangible way. Way to go, Mary. Mishpat, Zadika, an eye on the disadvantaged. Friends, Amos preaches a tough message. There are people saying, God, we're, we're ready. I mean, the, the brokenness and the messiness of this world and all the things that are wrong, we, we, could you, we would love you to come. Just, just fix it. It seems like it's beyond our ability to fix it. We want things to go from bad to better. And God is saying through his prophet Amos, actually, now's not a good time because you're not ready for me to come. You're practicing religious hypocrisy. You have a divided heart. You're addicted to luxury and comfort, and you're not chasing justice. And friends, before we come to the conclusion that, well, that's an Old Testament reality, and now, now we're in the New Covenant, and, and now we're, we're, we're all ready to meet Jesus, right? And yet I can take you to some New Testament passages that in the same way Jesus is saying, you're, you're, you're not ready. He's going to confront in the book of Revelation several churches for their religious hypocrisy. He's going to say, you're not ready. Here's some things you need to, to, to take care of. Your heart is not hot. Revelation chapter 3, church of Laodicea. You think you're wealthy, but actually you're very poor. You're blind and you're naked. Your heart is lukewarm. I wish you were either cold or you were, you were on fire. You were hot. He's telling a church in the New Testament that they're not ready. And when it comes to people being addicted to luxury and comfort, again, I told you the story of the rich young ruler, and there's plenty of stories in which Jesus confronts the religious leaders of his day for their acquisition of stuff on the backs of others. And yet still, Jesus confronts the lack of justice. He tells a story. We've referred to it several times. Matthew chapter 25. See, your, your attitude towards the disadvantaged is your attitude toward me, is what Jesus is saying. It's all over the New Testament as well. It, it, it kind of fits hand in glove. And friends, we see some very frightening passages in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Jesus through Paul is, is telling the church, look, there's coming a day we're all going to stand before Jesus and, and there will be people who built on the foundation of what, of what the gospel and the kingdom of God is and they will be handsomely rewarded but not everyone. Because someone will, it's like they're escaping a house on fire. They enter into the kingdom with just the clothes on their back and there's the smell of smoke. And yet still even more frightening. You get to passages like Matthew chapter seven and Jesus says, why do you call me Lord? Why, why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I say? Depart from me. I never knew you. And what do the people say? But, but Lord, we did all this religious stuff. We did all this. We, we prophesied. We did miracles. We, we, we preached. We led Bible studies. We did all this stuff. And Jesus says, I, we didn't have friendship. 
Why call me Lord when you don't do what I'm asking you to do? Friends, this longing that we see in an Old Testament book centuries ago, this would be a great time for you to come, God. People thinking it goes from bad to better actually go bad to worse. Our New Testament reality. God, this would be a great time for you to come back. The world's a mess. It's so broken. I mean, <laughs> you're not ready. Could it be the Spirit of God is saying to us, there, there's some divided heart things I need, I want to deal with you on. There's some addiction to stuff I would, I would love to free you from. There's some justice that needs to roll. That needs to, to be practiced. Because we're not ready yet. So, what do we do? What, what, what do we, how do we ready ourselves for the return of Christ? How do, how do we, how do we get, get prepared? It's a great question. And pondering it, and f- frankly, I, I think the first step is simply this. Simply repent. It, it's a word that I don't know when you hear the word repent. I, in my mind, what I go is I, my, I picture my mind of someone standing on the street corner and sort of just really letting people have it. I, I, I don't think that's what God's saying with repentance. Actually, it's a gift. It's an invitation. Repent. Repentance is to have a change of mind that leads to a change of affections that actually leads to a changed life. Repentance. Changed thinking, changed affections, changed life. And Amos' sermon in his day is really about getting at this need for repentance so that we will be ready. Because God wants to be generous. He wants to bless. But he wants hearts that are wholly his he wants people that are focused on him and chasing his purposes. And so we need to repent. And repentance is interesting. Is looking at if, if you read repentance, what you see here is you see not only responses that are just... Look, look at these words from... from uh, listen to these words from Luke chapter 3. When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, you brood of snakes, who warned you to flee to coming wrath? Again, this, it's so confrontational. Yet God is disrupting comfort with this uncomfortability. Prove by the way that you live that you've repented your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe. We're descendants of Abraham. This means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. The crowd asked, what should we do? And, the, and, and John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, give it to the hungry. Tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, what should we do? And he replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do? Asked some soldiers. False, um, who, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. Isn't it interesting to know that when repentance is being preached and when they're saying, what should we do? In each case, what John responds with is restorative justice. He doesn't say, you need to go to the temple more. You, 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 you need to pray more. No, no. What John says is actually says, you might have more than you need, give to someone in need. See the hungry, feed them. Eliminate corruption. Be content. And justice is on the heart of God. And as we repent, we want to align our heart with God's. 
A symbolic way of doing that in the Old Testament, as you'll see, remember our series on Esther, um, when there was this ethnic genocide that was being planned, Mordecai hears the news and he puts on sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth, I just have a little piece here, this is actually burlap, but, but sackcloth in the Old Testament times was typically made out of animal hair. It's, it's not silk. You, you wear this in a hot summer day and it's humid. It's just so uncomfortable. And, and people, as a demonstration of their grief over their sins and their desire for repentance, would wear this. Symbolically reminding themselves with every move they made as it itched and scratched their skin that God was calling them to repentance. Friends, I don't know if the Spirit of God has spoken or identified anything in those three ways that, that the people of God were not ready in Amos' day. But the invitation to you is an invitation of hope to repent. See, on the back side of a letter to Laodicea that says, you're lukewarm, I, and literally says, your religious hypocrisy is nauseating me. Jesus offers hope. Ah, but those who overcome, those who are victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on thrones. Ah, those who overcome, I will give you a new name that only you and I know. It's intimate, it's personal. There's hope. But you have to go through the doorway of repentance. This week, I want to invite you. I've got a little basket here. You'll see this basket over at Broadway Commons, Broadway Coffee House, at our information desk. And in this basket is a little piece of burlap sackcloth. Right after this talk, I'm going to walk over, put this basket over there, and I want to invite you to come and take one square. You could put it in your pocket as something you feel all the time this week, or maybe what you might want to do is just take it, pin it on the inside of a shirt, hang it over your collar, pin it there, and just feel the discomfort. And just feel the, the roughness. And be reminded of an invitation from God to ready ourselves for when we see him face to face. So would you come this week and if God's been speaking to you, and just grab one little piece, take it with you, just as your way, your private way of reminding yourself that God's spoken to you and he's calling you to deeper relationship with him and with others. Let's pray to that end. So Lord, we're grateful for your kindness and your compassion. We're thankful that you are a God who shares his thoughts with us, even when it's difficult. We do see the brokenness in our world. Oh, Lord, but we have such a hard time seeing the brokenness in our own hearts. Would you pour out humility as we think about the pain in our nation as it's related to racial inequity. Lord, there are some who feel it so intensely, and yet others who have difficulty. Help us to see, help us to feel. We want 
to walk in justice. We want to pursue justice, to chase justice as you have done for us. And pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.